So we've been looking at this idea of law versus faith. And I kind of got the idea based off this movie that's coming out next summer, Batman v Superman, which I'm incredibly excited about, as I've been telling you guys. Very pumped about this. And it's going to be interesting to see who can take who down and how this is all going to work. Or are they going to team up at the end or how that rivalry is going to all play out? But it's an interesting concept. And rivalries are, are pretty intense, aren't they? When I was younger, my best friend Seth and I had a rivalry with some friends from our church, and it was a pranking rivalry, and so we would do all kinds of stuff to each other. And of course, like the normal stuff, it started out with like toilet paper in each other's trees at our houses, or like saran wrapping each other's cars, stuff like that. But it escalated very quickly, as rivalries often do. And so before we knew it, one night we were over at my friend's house, and our, I actually got up on our rival's roof of their house, and I was up there with a box of water balloons. And the plan was, my buddies out front were going to ring the doorbell, get them out front, and then I was going to ambush from the, from the top. And so this was a great, brilliant plan, as you can now tell. And so I'm up there on the roof. The only thing was, is I wasn't very accustomed to this roof, because I don't really go on random people's roofs all that often. And then secondly, it was night, and so I couldn't really see. And so I'm up on the roof, and my buddies are out front, and the plan was working. They had drawn our rivals out of the house. And all of a sudden they heard a thud and a bunch of water balloons breaking. And so what had happened is as I was was running across the roof, there was actually different levels and a level just kind of dropped out. And so I fell from one level of the roof to the other and the water balloons went, you know, breaking down onto the ground, nowhere near our targets. And just so you know, this is different than the time I fell through the skylight when I was on that roof trying to throw water balloons. So me, roofs, and water balloons should stop, okay? But it escalated very quickly until this, until this, this was the rivalry ender right here was our friends got us so good one night because here's what happened. We were friends with our rival's younger brother. Okay. And so we called up our rival's younger brother and said, Hey, if you ever know of a time that they're planning on getting us, let us know, call us and then we'll fool them. We'll trick them. We'll get them instead of them getting us. So he called us one day. He said, Hey, this Thursday night, they know you guys are hanging out at your house, Doug, and they're planning on coming and getting you guys. And so we said, ah, no, they're not, right? This is a brilliant plan. We have inside information. And so we had this great plan that when they pulled up, that they were going to see written out on chalk on my driveway, look behind you, right? It's a little creepy, right? And so we were going to be hiding in my neighbor's bush behind them. So that's exactly what we did. We wrote that out in chalk. We were in my neighbor's bushes, camouflage, water balloons, water guns, ready for them, right? So we figured we better get in there at like maybe 9 o'clock, just in case we didn't know when they were coming. 10 o'clock comes, nobody shows up. 11 o'clock comes, nobody shows up. Midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. We stayed out there till 4 in the morning because we were going to get them. They never came because that was the prank. The prank was that they'd have that younger brother who they knew we were asking for information tell us they were coming and we'd wait out there all night like idiots in the bushes until 4 a.m. And so that was the rivalry ender. Well, we've been talking about another rivalry that has ended and that is law v. faith. Because we're in week three, and we've been talking about this rivalry, how there are these two kind of camps of people. Some people say, hey, it's all about keeping the law and keeping the rules. If you want to be saved, you got to do the right thing, and that's what saves you. And then there's this other camp over here that says, no, it's all about faith. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. If you put your faith in Jesus, that's what saves you. And so we kind of had this rivalry going on, and, and the people that believe in the law, like I've been saying, I'm not talking about don't run red lights or don't run through stop signs. I mean, that's important too, but that's not the law I'm talking about. The law that I'm talking about that people put their hope in is called the Mosaic Law. It's the law that God gave Moses, and that's why they call it the Mosaic Law. And so there have been countless people for you know, thousands upon thousands of years that have put their hope in the Mosaic Law. I'm going to keep rules, and when I keep rules, God will love me, and he'll accept me, and he will see me as okay before him. Tons of people have put their hope 
in that. But then there's tons of people that have said, no, it's about faith. See, Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose back from the dead. And this was all about grace. He did this because he loves us. And now we respond by putting our faith in him. And so the reason we're doing this series is because, to be honest, there's sort of some confusion with all this, right? I mean, whether you're like a theologian here in the room or you're somebody that isn't sure what you believe about God at all, there can be some confusion about the role of the law and faith, and it brings up all these great questions. So we've been tackling these questions week by week. Some of the questions that this kind of confusion can sometimes bring up is, if it's all about the law, then why does the Bible talk so much about faith? Right? Sometimes we wonder, maybe it's like a combination deal. Is it that God does some of it and I do some of it? Is it that God does most of it and I do my part a little bit and then that's what saves me? And, and those of us that would say, hey, no, it's all about faith in Jesus. Isn't it true sometimes that we still feel less loved and less accepted when we don't perform as well? You know, we look at God and we think, maybe he doesn't love me as much today because I didn't perform as well as I know I should have. And so we're in really, wow, I'll get this out. In week one, we really answered those questions with just this simple statement that we are saved through faith in Jesus alone. Faith wins. This rivalry is over. Faith in Jesus alone wins. And then last week, we tackled a couple more questions because sometimes you could be like, okay, if it's about faith, then why does it seem like God was up to one thing in the first half of the Bible and another thing in the second half of the Bible? Like, why does it seem like in the first half of the Bible, he was all about keeping rules, and the second half of the Bible, he was all about Jesus coming and dying in our place? Like, what's with that? And we spent a lot of time, and we kind of went for it. It's hard to sum it up in like 30 seconds. But basically, what we discovered is that the promise precedes the law. In other words, the promise that was coming about Jesus to save us came before the law ever came. And so the plan's always been Jesus. Jesus wasn't plan B. He wasn't the backup plan. It wasn't like God went, oh man, they can't keep the rules, so now let me figure out what to do. No, Jesus was always, always, always the plan. That leaves us with a couple more questions which we're going to tackle today. And I hope that this helps, and I hope this encourages you. Because there's two questions left, at least in my mind. Maybe you have some more, and we could talk, absolutely. But man, I sure have two more questions that I need to answer before we move on here. And so the first one is, if we aren't saved by keeping the uh, the law, then why was the law ever given? You know what I mean? Have you ever wondered that? Okay, if it's about Jesus dying on the cross in my place, then why did God ever bother to give the law in the first place? Like, what's that about? And so we're going to look at that today. And then secondly, if it's all about faith in Jesus, then what about doing the right thing? Like, if, if you're honest, some of you guys have been a little bit nervous through this series, right? You've been thinking, man, it sounds like Doug is kind of throwing holiness and doing the right thing out the window, it sounds like he's not too worried about the way that we live our lives as long as we have faith in God. And so, Doug, are you, are you just shooting, you know, doing the right thing in the foot here? How does this all work? And that's what we're really going to tackle today. And maybe those two questions don't sound like they relate to one another. What's the law for if we are saved through faith? And, and then what about doing the right thing? But actually, they're incredibly mingled here. And we're going to see today that our bottom line comes right out of these two questions. And so I know it sounds like, you know, we're going to do a lot today, and we are. I need you guys awake. Remember what I said last week? I'll start throwing stuff. If I see you falling asleep, or no, I won't really, but I actually have um, electrically charged each chair. And so the ushers know where you're sitting, and they just hit like E7, and that's, you're done. Sorry, but no. So I'm going to keep you awake. Of course, I pour in a visitor when I say that. I'm like, you're done. Great, Doug. All right. And so today, this is such important stuff. And I think it's a really big deal to know why the law was given, because otherwise, like, what was God up to? Was that just a waste of time with all that Moses stuff and all the stuff? And what about all the do's and don'ts in the New Testament? Like, do we just ignore those now? So that's a huge deal to figure that out. And then what about just doing the right thing? And so we're going to look at these things today. And so 
As we've been saying, Galatians was written by Paul. It was a letter he wrote to his friends that lived in this place called Galatia. And they were confused too. They were confused about all the same stuff that confuses you and I. They had a lot of the same questions you and I have about what's with the law and what's with faith and all these different things going on. And so Paul wrote this. And Paul's the perfect guy to write this, as we've been seeing, because Paul was all about keeping rules. Paul was really disciplined. He was really smart. He was an expert in the law. But then he came into contact with Jesus and he went, oh my gosh, I need a savior. I can't keep the law. I'm in trouble. I need help. And so he was all about putting faith in Jesus. And he was helping the Galatians see, hey, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so he's the perfect one to be saying this. And again, I got to just remind you, we got to remember, we got a lot of different people in the room today from a lot of different places in life, right? And so if you're a theologian, you're with me, awesome. But you know what, theologians, I want to help everybody in the room. I want to help the people that never heard the name of Jesus before understand what we're talking about today and everybody in between. So that's what we're going to do here today in Galatians chapter 3. So let's ask this question, why did God give the law? If it's about faith, why even waste your time with Moses and the law and the rules and the commands and the do's and the don'ts in the Bible? Well, Paul asked the same exact question in verse 19 of Galatians 3. He says this, what then was the purpose of the law? And then he tells us, it was added because of transgressions. Now, I've been saying this through this whole series. Galatians is a confusing book, okay? And so I'm going to help you hopefully understand this as I try to understand this myself. It was added because of transgressions. Transgressions is a fancy word for sin, okay? And so Paul's telling us is the law was given because we sin. But Doug, I thought you said that we don't get saved by doing the right thing. I thought you said we don't get saved by keeping the law, that's not ever meant to save us. Here's what the law basically was for. It was to be a seatbelt for us, okay? If I could kind of use that picture for us. It It was used to restrain people from doing the wrong thing. Now listen, this is so important. What is a seatbelt for? It's to protect, right? You know, we don't have seatbelts in our cars. I know kids disagree with this, but we don't have seatbelts in our cars just to ruin our fun. We have seatbelts in our cars to save our lives, And so God gave the law to save and restrain people from running down roads that they never should be running down. People, the Israelites specifically, were doing all kinds of stuff that were killing themselves. They were were running from what God had, and they were destroying their lives. And so he says, I'm going to put a seatbelt on them. I'm going to restrain them until something else happens, okay? So the reason the law was given in the first place was to restrain people that God loved from hurting themselves and running down roads they never should have run down. And so God says, hey, don't kill and don't commit adultery and don't lie and don't don't do all these things. Not because I'm trying to ruin your fun. Trust me, if you do these things, you're going to ruin your life and they dishonor me. That's what God's saying, okay? So I'm going to restrain people for a while. I'm going to put a seatbelt on these people. And this is the first part of my plan, God says, okay? Parents, you guys get this, don't you? Don't you wish the seats in your house had seatbelts attached to them? I so wish that were true, right? Because sitting at the dinner table, Landon gets up like 87 times. No joke. My seven-year-old, I mean, I so wish there was a seatbelt on that seat. Because I tell him, my wife, right, sit down, sit down, Landon, sit down, right? i got to go to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom, goes back. Oh, I left the light on. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, I forgot to flush. Okay, cool. All right, go wash your hands. Oh, I forgot to wash my hands. Okay. Yeah, okay, cool. Sit down. Okay, now eat. Oh, wait, wait, I want a drink. Okay, gets a drink. Brings it up. Oh, I forgot ice. Go gets the ice. Brings it down. Spills the drink. Needs new water. Gets the ice. Oh, man, I left my light on upstairs. Okay, cool. Oh, Landon, <laughs> you know, I've joked with him. If you don't sit down, I'm going to staple your booty to the chair, okay? That's that's, that's what's going to happen here, okay? I so wish we had seatbelts on chairs because here's what always happens. Landon ate, you know, 99% of his meal 
Somehow, magically, with all that distraction, ate 99% of his meal. And then we clean up the one little piece of macaroni that was left that he didn't get to eat yet because he was off like doing something with a Lego. And he comes back, where's my dinner? And he starts weeping, right? Parents, you are so about this. You know this is true, right? I didn't get to finish. You're starving me, you know? Yeah, okay, you didn't eat one piece of macaroni. Now, why do I want a seatbelt on land and seat? Because I love the kid. And I know that he's going to get upset at the end of the day because he gets so distracted and he goes off and does a billion things and he comes back and he ends up saying, ah, and he's crying and he's broken. And guys, that's why God gave us the law because he recognizes that if you and I, you know, apart from what's about to happen, this is an important distinction, he recognizes the Israelites, apart from what I'm going to share in just a minute, they're going to, they're going to run all over the place and they're going to do their own thing and, and they're going to end up coming back crying and upset and broken. And, and so he says, let me restrain you. And so I'm going to give the law. Okay, now that was only for a season. It was never the way to salvation. So he gives the seatbelt. He restrains these people that he loves until something happens. And look what he says here in the next part of verse 19. He says, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Now again, another confusing verse. Come on, Paul, speak our language. I know. But what is this saying? Basically what this verse means is God gave the law to restrain until Jesus came. Okay, God gave the law to restrain until Jesus came. Because that's who this is talking about. You see how the word seed has a capital S? It means it's talking about a specific person. And the promise, the promise, we talked all about that last week, was about Jesus. So the law was to restrain until Jesus came. Until Jesus shows up on the scene, God said, hey, let me buckle the Israelites in a little bit. Because I love them. I don't want them to keep going all over the place and making a mess of their lives. And so until Jesus came, that was God's heart for them. Now, you might say, well, why didn't God just send Jesus as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, right? Why do we need, like, the law and all that stuff? Well, because God had a specific plan. Scripture tells us that there was an appointed time that Jesus would show up and do what he did. And God, in his wisdom, though I may not get it all and maybe I can't explain it all, God had a plan. And this whole thing playing out until Jesus would one day walk the earth and die in our place was a part of that plan. So, we're going to drop down to verse 24 and see another reason that the law was given, uh, sort of a secondary, uh, not secondary, but another powerful reason. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Again, sort of worded in a confusing way, but what it means is the law was given to you and I so that we would realize we need a Savior. The law was given to you and I so we'd go, oh man, these rules are impossible to keep. I hope someone could live it for me. I hope someone could keep these rules for me because I can't keep them. I remember being a kid and you'd be trying to do something that was too hard for, me, for you and you'd look to like your dad or an older brother or a mom and I can't do this. Can you do this for me? You know, I got myself up, stuck up in this tree. I can't climb out. Can you help me here? Can you get me down? Can you do what I can't? And that's what the law was for. The law was for you and I to see, wow, we can't keep this law. Is there anyone that can and that can rescue us? And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came, he kept the law perfectly and then he died in our place to rescue us. And so the law restrains and the law shows us how much we need a Savior. And so that's what Paul has argued so far. Now, verse 25, he says this, Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. Okay, so there's your law of ye faith answer right there. Now that faith has come, now that Jesus has come, and grace has come, and we can put our faith in Jesus, we're not under the supervision of the law anymore, because something better came. I'm going to explain that in a little bit. But, I mean, just think about this whole idea. Like, we're not under the supervision of the law anymore because there's been a transition. There's been a change. When I used to be a youth pastor, 
I was all about supervision over all these little kids, right? All these, all these kids. And we would go to like amusement parks. We'd go to all these places. And I was like an obsessive counter. I had to count all, like 50 kids. You know, I'd be, I would just count it all day long. Didn't matter. And one night, I, I became so obsessed with this apparently. One night, my, my wife tells me that she woke up and she heard me in the bed next to her like counting. And she goes, Doug, what are you doing? And I, apparently, I was asleep. I don't know. I, apparently, like an attitude, I was like, I'm counting to make sure everyone's here. And she looked back and she was like, who's here? This is my bedroom, you know? And so I became like obsessed with this supervisor. Counting, counting, I'm counting in my sleep. And like, right? People count cheap. I count youth group kids, I guess. I don't know. And so that was, that was my, my thing there. But you know what? I've transitioned. And so I, like, I'm a lead pastor now. And so I don't do that anymore. I don't count anymore. In fact, my kids the other day said, Dad, do you like, go on all the youth group trips? Like, you go to the overnighters? I'm like, I do not stay up anymore children's right and so no because we've changed and so we went on a men's retreat a few weeks ago and you know what I did not count how many people were around and where everybody was I wasn't looking and oh wait okay we got all of our guys here I wasn't counting because they're not under my supervision anymore right although maybe one or two still should be Um, as I look at that whole situation I mean can you just imagine me even trying you know like like going up to pastor and, and some of the older guys on the trip okay guys let's hold hands and go to the bathroom now right I mean how would that have gone right so my, my role changed, and I transitioned out of that, and so there's something new now, and so that whole supervision thing isn't what I'm about, and the same is true with the law. The law used to be our supervisor, so to speak. It used to restrain, but now that Jesus has come, now that faith has come, that's not the role of the law in our lives anymore. So quick review. Okay, the law came to restrain. The law came to show us we needed a Savior. The law does not save us. Does this mean... Kind of going to question two, that we don't have to worry about how we live. Does this mean do what you want? Enjoy life, guys. You got faith in Jesus. Don't worry about how you live. Don't worry about honoring God. Just live how you live. Do what you want. Feel, do what feels good. Or do we still look at the commands in the Bible and say, oh, I got to live a life that honors God. I got to live a life that pleases him. And, and if so, why? Okay, and so that's what we're going to kind of hit for the next few minutes here. And we're going to drop down. Remember, this was a letter. Galatians was a letter. It wasn't a book written. It was a letter. And so we're going to drop down a little bit in Paul's letter to what we now call Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to answer this question in verse 13. Same letter, okay? So we're not like changing and jumping ship here, okay? Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. That's what this whole series is about. We're called to be free. We're not trying to earn our, our salvation through the law anymore. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. So there's our answer. Paul is not telling the Galatians, Jesus saves, so just do what you want. Jesus saves, so just do whatever feels good. Now see, the law isn't our supervisor or our guardian anymore, but God still wants us to do the right thing. Why? Remember I've been saying this whole series, kind of teasing this thought. Why do we do the right thing? The why has changed and the how has changed. Why we do the right thing has changed and how we do the right thing has changed. And so why do you and I now do the right thing? Because you belong to Jesus. Because you're in a relationship with him. Because you have his love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is so important. The reason that I care about holiness in my personal life is because I belong to Jesus. Not so that I can belong to Jesus. Not so that I can earn something from him. It's because he's done so much in my life that I want to honor him with my life. Just think for a second. Who in your life do you love the most? And you can't all choose me, okay? I know you want to, but, you know, choose somebody else for today, just argument's sake, all right? Now, who, think about that person for a second. Who do you love most? 
Isn't it true that you live your life, though not perfectly, you live your life in a way to please that person that you love, not to earn anything from them, but because you already have their love, right? Why do I live my life in a way, not perfectly, but that tries to honor my wife? Why do I live in a way that, not perfectly, but I try to honor my kids and and, and friends and close family and all these people because I love them. I want to live in a way that honors them and blesses them because I'm in this relationship with them. And so Paul is saying, okay, doing the right thing still matters, but the why has changed. It's not to earn anything from God. It's because you belong to God. And so doing the right thing still matters and is still important. But why we do it has changed, and so has how we do it. Because here's how it used to be, right? Or at least maybe some of us today forget used to. This is probably in our, a lot of our heads today. All right, I am going to change. I'm going to live a life that pleases God. You know how I'm going to do it? I am going to try harder. I am going to be disciplined in my own strength and do my own thing. And you watch. And I promise God, how many times have we done this? I promise God never again, only to say that exact line how many more thousands of times in our lives. Now see, how we live to honor God has changed. We used to live or try to live maybe by the law. How do we live now? We'll look at what verse 16 says. So I say live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And so think about it this way. The law used to try to keep you and I from sinning, right? It would try to restrain us because God loves us, wants to protect us. I'm going to restrain you. I'm going to staple your booty to the chair. I'm going to hold you back because I love you and I want the best for you. But now we live by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is what Paul is talking about here. Not like some inner human spirit. No, the Holy Spirit, God in you and I. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to you and I. And when we live by the Spirit, look what this verse says, you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So what I do matters, but how has changed? I no longer do it by just saying, I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to do this. No, now I do it by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Holy Spirit can lead me to do things and empower me to do things that the law never could. Because the law is powerless while the Spirit empowers. And so the law was given a restraint. And just think about this. Maybe, maybe this will help answer that first question too. Maybe you're like, Doug, why did God give the law before Jesus came? And what was all that? Well, the amazing thing that's happened for you and I is the Holy Spirit has been given to every single one of us who put our faith in Jesus. That wasn't true until Jesus died on the cross for you and I. And so Abraham, David, all like the Old Testament heroes, They had faith in God. That's what saved them. It's always been about faith. But listen to this. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in their life like you and I did. Do. What God used to do is he would put his spirit on people for a time, for a season, for a certain purpose. And so why did God give the law? Do you realize like the law even helped restrain some of these Old Testament heroes who had their faith in Jesus but didn't have the Holy Spirit yet? And so you and I live in this amazing time where God says, okay, the law's not your guardian anymore. The law's not your supervisor anymore. You used to live by the law or try to live by the law. Now live by the Spirit. And so we've seen the law restrains, but the Spirit empowers. And so 
as you and I want to live lives that honor God, we got to get as close to God as we can. The closer you are to Jesus, the more the Holy Spirit will empower you. The closer you and I walk with Jesus, the more we listen to him, the more we're opening the Bible, the more we're in prayer, the more we're together, the more we're, we're faithful to you know, go to community group. And, and all these things that push us toward our Savior, the more the Holy Spirit will empower us, the less we'll indulge or give into our sinful nature. And Paul identifies some of the sins we struggle with in the next part. He says in verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And then this verse is going to confuse some people. Hang in there. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And now you're going, Doug, you just shot the whole series in the foot. I thought it wasn't about what we do or don't do. I thought it was about Jesus. I thought it was about him saving us. And now you're saying that people who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. How does this work? Here's how this works. Paul is not saying that if you and I struggle with those things or once in a while fall in those areas that we are not followers of Jesus. He is saying that when we use our freedom to indulge our sinful nature and not care about the sin in our life, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you and I continue to live this life in these ways and not have an ounce of repentance in our heart, an ounce of regret, and not, not just regret, but remorse toward God. And, and God, forgive me, change me. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. It's somebody like that that can't inherit the kingdom of God. Somebody that says, whatever, God forgives me, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm imperfect, oh well, too bad, I'm not changing. That's the person that's in trouble. But you and I, if we are walking toward our Savior and we fall short, and we repent and we go to God and we say, God, forgive me, change me. I'm not going to try by my own power to do this, but I'm going to partner with your spirit who will empower me to live a different life. And so Paul gives all those kinds of struggles, those sins, those things that, that you know, we fall into. And we see here, Paul, New Testament, just told us it's not about the law, is saying, hey, don't live this way. But instead, watch this. And then the very next verse is in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit... What he's saying here is the, what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives is this stuff. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Saying, when you and I stay close to God, the Holy Spirit will produce those things in our life instead of all those other things. Think about it. The, the verses 22 and 23 are the answer to all the struggles in verses 19 to 21, aren't they? The fruit of the Spirit, if it will produce love and self-control, guess what? I'm not going to lash out with the temper or fall into sexual impurity. If the Holy Spirit produces these things in me, I'm not going to gratify the desires of my sinful nature, which are just going to destroy me anyway. And so Paul says, hey, live by the Spirit. The how has changed. Don't try and try in your own strength. Be as close to Jesus as you can and watch him supply and empower you to live a life you never could have lived apart from him. And he says this, verse 25, and I hope this makes this real clear. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Holy Spirit, the closer you and I are to God, the more the Holy Spirit's in work with us. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. I think this is a beautiful imagery for you and I. Because it's like, how do I do this? How do I live life so I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, just keep in step with him. What does that mean? It means stay connected to him. Pray throughout your day. 
Keep him on your mind. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to direct you. I've told you guys this before, that the imagery Paul has in mind as he's using this phrase here, keep in step, is the imagery of a bunch of soldiers who perfectly keep in step with each other. You know how that works? You've seen this, right? Just perfectly. The, the, the guy in charge, the officer in charge, yells out the command, and they turn on a, on a dime. They are perfectly in step with each other. Well, how does that work? How does it work for soldiers to be connected like that? It's all about communication, isn't it? It's about those soldiers hearing those orders. It's about the countless hours they've spent together walking step by step already, isn't it? And so as you and I walk in the Spirit, as we stay near God, as we stay near the Holy Spirit, as we keep our conversation with Him alive throughout our day, I encourage you, don't just have like a five-minute prayer time in your morning or a 10-minute prayer time at night. Keep that conversation open. I always just like to look at it like this. Like, keep your phone by your ear all day. Talk to God all day. You know, always having your mind focused on what he's doing. I mean, I know we have to focus on other things too and stuff, and we can enjoy, like, entertainment and things, but, but just always connecting. Never kind of hanging up the phone and putting it away. Just always that, that, that communication's open. God, lead me. I want to stay in step with you so that I can be empowered by you to live the life that only you can empower me to live. But here's what I want you to walk out of here with today. If you remember this, I think you'll be good. The law restrains, but the Spirit empowers. The law restrains, but the Spirit empowers. God gave the law to restrain people until Jesus came because he loved them. And now the Holy Spirit is in you and I as we put our faith in Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, the moment you put your trust in Jesus... He puts his Holy Spirit in you. He begins to do the heavy lifting in our lives. He begins to make the changes in our lives that you and I have been trying to make our whole lives. And so the law restrains, but the Spirit empowers. Do you see how that answers, that one phrase answers our two questions? What was the law about? It was there to restrain people until Jesus came. So I guess here's the question. You ready? Stick with me. I know. All right. I don't have to start electrocuting people, okay? Here, stick with me, okay? So what do we do with like all the commands in the Bible? What do we do with the do's and the do nots? What do we do with, with the law? What do we do with even the Ten Commandments? Do we just throw them out now? No, we don't. We don't. Here's what we do. We line our hearts up next to them. Not to earn salvation. But they show us, these laws, these commands in the Bible, they show us what the Holy Spirit should be producing out of our hearts. Okay? And so think about it like this. For someone who's not in a relationship with Jesus, the law is a seatbelt. For somebody who is in a relationship with Jesus, the law is a measuring stick. And it's not a measuring stick toward salvation. It's not a measuring stick toward acceptance by God. That's yours. It's free. It's all given to you through faith, by grace, what Jesus did for you. But now, I look to what God says, both Old Testament and New Testament, and say, okay, God says, don't lie, don't murder, don't steal. God says, be pure. God says, all these different things. I'm going to line my heart up next to that and say, Holy Spirit, these are the things that by your empowerment, I need to be living out. So we're not trying to keep the law to earn anything from God, but we are looking to the law to say, okay, this is what matters to God, and this is what God says is important. And so, Holy Spirit, would you produce these things in my life? I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to keep in step with you. And so, God, would you produce these things in my life? And so that answer that first question right there. What's the law about? The law is there to restrain. But what about doing the right thing? Well, the Spirit empowers. The Spirit empowers us to do the right thing. Doing the right thing matters. And the The why is because we belong to Jesus, and the how is the Holy Spirit. Staying connected to him. If you don't know what that means, then please pull me aside later today. 
If you don't know what that means, you're in a community group, talk to your community group leader about that. If you don't know what that means, come up to our prayer team today, and we will explain to you what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. We'll give you a Bible. We'll help you learn how to pray, all that, wherever you're at. We want to help people walk in the Spirit. And I'm 37, and I am not a professional walker in the Spirit, okay? I'm growing every day, and I'm learning more and more how to do this and what it looks like to submit my life to God and to let His Spirit lead me and work in me. And so, as a result of this series, as a result of hearing that we are saved through faith in Jesus alone, that the promise precedes the law, and that the law restrains but the Spirit empowers, my prayer for you and I is that we will rest securely in what Jesus has done for us. Don't try to add to what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. Rest securely in him. He loves you. You will mess up sometimes. He will still love you. Yet, we aim at growth, right? We aim at living lives that honor God. Not because we're trying to earn anything from him, but because we already have his love and acceptance. And so will you walk with the Spirit? Will you keep in step with the Spirit? Will you keep the conversation open throughout your day, be it through prayer or through Scripture or through Christians around or whatever, worship music, listen to a podcast, whatever's going to help keep you walking in the Spirit? Watch Him then empower you. So followers of Jesus, let's rest securely and let's live the lives that God has called us to live as His Spirit empowers us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope today, man, you are hearing incredible news that there is a God so crazy for you that he sent his son to die in your place. And when you put your trust in him, he will then empower you to live a life you never could have lived on your own. Law restrains, but the spirit empowers. Let's pray. God, I thank you that really it comes down to clear and simple. That God, the law is not our guardian anymore. But the Holy Spirit is in us. God is in us. God is alive and well in our lives. So Christians in the room, I just encourage you that now you would look to Jesus to do in you what only he can. To to, to rest securely today in the fact that he has saved you. You are accepted by God. You are loved by God. He knows you've messed up recently. And he wants you to walk free of the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the regret of that. And now he wants you to aim at honoring him with your life as you walk in the Spirit, as you live by the Spirit. So line your hearts up with his word and let the Spirit empower you. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I would love to encourage you to put your trust in him. You can't save yourself and you can't empower yourself to live the life that both God wants you to live and ultimately I think if you could see where God would take you and the things he'd do in you, I I believe that life would be attractive to you. And so I would encourage you today to put your trust in him. And you can do that um, just by responding to him. Remember I had my phone out before. I said, hey, keep the connection alive. Well, today is the day you take your phone out maybe for the first time, so to speak, and you get the connection going with God. And so I'd encourage you to pray something like this just silently. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for setting me free from the law and my lack of performance. Thank you for your unconditional love and mercy. God, would you now be my Savior? I put my trust in you alone. Forgive me. Show me how real you are. Holy Spirit, now empower me 
but live a life that honors you.